So that passage from Isaiah uh, is um, a beautiful way to start off this Advent season. Uh, it's a bit of a um, battle cry, I would say, as we begin this Advent season. When Isaiah wrote the passage that we just read, the Jews found themselves standing in the middle of a tremendous desolation. A few of them were able to return from exile, but when they were away from their home, several of the surrounding tribes had moved into the land, and they had established their pagan practices there in Israel and in Jerusalem. Those practices were quite vile. They included fertility cults and child sacrifices. And so now when Isaiah was there and, and looking around, he saw walls that were broken down. He saw that all the temple had been cleared out from all of the holy vessels and whatnot. And then also all the homes and everything were just rubble. So suffice it to say, Jerusalem no longer looked like home. It was a desolation. So if you were to walk out these doors uh, and turn to your right... There would be uh, an old restaurant that was there, El Burrito. It was a family favorite of ours. It was the uh, best margaritas in town, we would tell people. It was a great location. Um, But they they were relatively new, and my guess is that they were still finding their footing uh, when the pandemic hit. And then if you were to turn left and go that way, you would pass by several other closed and empty shops. One was a photography studio that specialized in pet photography. Uh, Another was a workout studio that was relatively new. In fact, if you were here for our Christmas in the Parkway event, uh, they were quite generous in giving giving out a a gift card to folks. And then if you were to turn the corner, you would have passed by the Elbow Room, uh, which it's quite heartbreaking to see that that place is now empty as well. Now, I'm not trying to say that closed stores here at the corner of 48th and Chicago are the equivalent to Jerusalem being sacked. you know, it's, it's not quite a fair comparison. But I do think that if you were to speak to those business owners and hear their stories and to listen to the shock that they're experiencing right now, my guess is the word desolation might come up in conversation. And this is just one small snapshot of what's happening throughout the Twin Cities and even what's happening throughout our country right now. So if we were to open up our Bibles and read the very next, pas- the very next verse after this Isaiah passage, uh, verse 10, it says this, The holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a desolation. And for some of you, you might personally identify with those words. It might seem like your own life right now feels like a wilderness or a desolation. You might resonate with one of the verses that we read today from Isaiah's uh, passage here. Lord, you have hidden your face from us, Isaiah says. Well, today is the first Sunday in Advent, and this might strike some of you as rather odd, but this is a season in which the church considers the hiddenness of God. This is a time in which, like so many followers of God throughout time, that is the prophets of old, the exiled Jews, the dispersed believers throughout the New Testament, the desert fathers and mothers of the early church and so many other believers throughout church history, we too now look at the desolation of the world and we ask, God, where are you right now? Where are you? Why have you hidden your face from us? So Advent is not for the faint of heart. We see things, we sing things like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. 
that mourns in lonely exile here and longs for God, the Son of God, to appear. So I'd like for us to look at that Isaiah passage today. And this portion of Isaiah that we read, it's been described by one scholar as the most powerful psalm of communal lamentation in the entire Bible, which is a pretty big statement considering how many songs of lamentations, or lamentation that we have throughout the Bible. So we're going to walk through this in three parts. Oh, oh, that you would rend open the heavens and come down, Isaiah starts, that the mountains might quake, the forests burn, and the oceans boil. What powerful and vivid language we read. Now, our translation, the ESV that we read this morning, that has that opening verb as rend open, that you might rend open the heavens. But if you were to look through other translations, uh, some of yours might say things like, oh, Lord, that you might tear open or rip open or split open. And you get the idea. Uh, the message, uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. Oh, that you would burst forth from the heavens, oh God. So we're not exactly talking about a gentle prayer here. This, this isn't the prophet saying, um, God, if, if you can work it into your schedule, could you perhaps come down and visit? No, the prophet is praying for God, is pleading for God to come with a suddenness and even violent abruptness. Uh, so yesterday in the car, uh, one of my dear kiddos, you know, was being goofy and uh, had tangled herself uh, in her seatbelt. And the more that she kind of wiggled, uh, the tighter the seatbelt would get. And so it was, it was, first it was a little irritating and then it was a little concerning because this thing was getting really, really tight around her waist. And so we pulled over the car, we pulled over into a gas station. And I was going as, you know, as hopefully as a good father would do, I was going through worst case scenario in my mind. And I was thinking, okay, worst case scenario, this would perhaps go around another part of her body or something. And I'm going to run into that gas station. And every, every gas station in, in the middle of Minnesota usually has like a hunter's area, you know. And I'm like, I'm going to get a knife and I'm going to run back into the car and I'm going to just slice open. I'm going to kick open the door and I'm going to slice apart that belt. <laughs> And I feel like that's what Isaiah wants God to do in this passage. He wants God to burst open the doors and leap into our world and free his people from the bondage that they're in. And actually, that wouldn't be the first time that God has done this. Isaiah is remembering the mighty things that God has done for his people, especially when they were enslaved under Pharaoh. When the people of God were enslaved, the Lord did in fact come down. He sent 10 plagues upon the Egyptians and he freed them. He freed the Hebrews from their oppressors. And then he brought them out and led them to the foot of Sinai. And he gave them the law. He gave them a way to order themselves as an established nation. And then as a good father, he brought them to the land of, of milk and honey, the promised land. And so Isaiah says, you have done awesome things for us, God. Things that we weren't even expecting. You came down and the mountains quaked, but now everything's horrible in your land, God. Would you please just do it again, he prays. Now, isn't it interesting that, that we have this, this sort of intrinsic hunger within all of us for justice? And I think that this is a human mystery that all of us actually kind of take for granted if you think about it. You know, scientists tell us that the, the default condition of the universe is decay, uh, energy is, is running out and, you know, bit by bit, uh, it, it, the universe is decaying. And we all know, uh, every religion agrees on this, that the most basic, um, common human experience is that of suffering. 
So if there wasn't a God, wouldn't we just be resigned to those realities? Wouldn't we just be resigned to the decay? Wouldn't we just be resigned to the common experience of, of suffering? But instead, what do we do? We protest. We protest the darkness. There's something within us that just comes alive and says, this isn't right. This isn't the way that things should be. This, we look at this desolation and immediately we think, this is not right. So even though that you and I didn't witness the events of the Exodus, as amazing as that would be, it's as if we all have this hidden memory within all of us, recalling and yearning for the awesome deeds of God. We have this intrinsic hunger inside of us for true and beautiful justice. We want the God of justice to come down and do something about the desolation. Well, unfortunately, the desolation that we see in our own city or, or in ancient Jerusalem, it, that's not the extent of the, of the desolation. That's not all that there is. It's not just burned down temples and abandoned shops and crumbling civilization. No, Isaiah reminds us that the desolation is within our own hearts as well. He says in verse 6, We are all unclean. Everything we do is spoiled. Everything we do is polluted. Now, why does he say that? Because Isaiah is a prophet. He's a righteous man. He hears the voice of God and he speaks that voice to the people. So there's no reason for him to, to speak in that sort of inclusive language. He's, he doesn't need to talk in the first person plural. He doesn't need to say we. Uh, no, instead, or yeah, there's no reason for him to align himself with the, his adulterous uh, countrymen. So why does he say we are all clean? He's done no wrong. It'd be really easy for him to play the blame game. He could just point his fingers and say, God, you and I both know that the state of our world right now is because of the Republicans. Or, God, you and I both know that if the Democrats were in charge, everything would be better, right? Like, no, Isaiah doesn't say anything like that. No, he, he does have harsh words to say for the leaders of his day. But here he says, we are all unclean. He says, we are all unclean. He is here as a prophet confessing on behalf of all of his people. And I love that poetic phrase that he says, we are all like a leaf in the wind. We are tossed to and fro like our sin. Sin is so prevalent around us, it's like wind, just picking up a loose leaf that we are. Did any of you see the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade this year? Okay, we've got a couple. Our family are like diehards. We watch it every single year. Do people know what it is? Okay, all right, great. There's some yeses. Uh, I'm going to lie to the live stream. Everyone in here is raising their hands. Everyone has seen the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, so I thought that this year was probably the most bizarre, strangest Thanksgiving Day Parade that I've ever seen. Uh, to me, it was much less like a holiday parade, and it felt more like a scene from a Mad Max movie. Uh, okay, now how many of you have seen a Mad Max movie? Oh, more of you have seen Mad Max than a Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's hilarious. Okay, so Mad Max, it's this movie, uh, there's several of them, uh, set in this post-apocalyptic sort of world where these, there are these insane people all over the place who are scavenging for fuel for their um, decrepit vehicles and stuff. Um, it's, it's absolutely insane. So you have these deranged caravan drivers sort of barreling through these apocalyptic uh, cityscapes throughout um, these Mad Max movies. And so as I saw this Thanksgiving Day parade happening, I thought of the same thing. I thought of the, you know, you saw these inflatable cartoon 
uh, character is kind of hovering through these empty streets of New York City. You know, it seemed as if the streets were completely abandoned. It looked like this post-apocalyptic place. And then the drivers of all the parade floats, they were costumed and, and masked up, just like they were on some sort of movie set or something, and they were all dancing around like absolute lunatics. And to make things just even wilder, the, the producers of the Thanksgiving Day Parade, they had these like crowd um, audio files playing of, of people cheering and stuff. And so the camera would pan around, and you wouldn't see anybody, but you just heard this like, ghostly cheering that was happening. So again, it was, a, it was an absolute creepy um, thing for me to watch. I, you know, no offense to you if you're involved in the Thanksgiving Day Parade or whatever. But to me, it seemed like a perfect image for the state of our country right now. Like, here we are in this global pandemic, and there's literally a parade going through America's COVID-19 ground zero. Like, how wild and bizarre is that? There's confetti going around, there's dancing, there's celebrities talking and things like that. And all I could hear, because I was preparing this message, all I could hear was Isaiah seeing, saying, how can we now be saved? How are we going to be saved right now? There in verse 5, he says it. Like, is our society's answer to the pain and the sorrow to throw a parade through this abandoned city, basically? You know, here in this parade, we have this moment where our society is promoting this wanton consumerism. We're, we're promoting this phony nostalgia, right? Like these celebrities would come on the screen and, and talk about the way that things used to be. And some of them would exposit this baseless moralism with, with no foundation to it whatsoever. Just kind of this vain and empty hope that someday things would indeed get better. But the sad thing, I think, is that I totally participate in this. Like, I totally get swept up in it. You know, I myself am, am not immune from the, the addictive consumerism that they're promoting on there. I see the shiny objects that they're promoting. I see the cartoon characters and floating around. I'm like, oh, that makes me feel good. Like, I get caught up in this, in this mass agenda of distraction, you know? Like, I totally um, do that. So rather than tuning my time or using this time as increased devotion to God, I instead want to tune my attention to entertainment and distraction. You know, I myself feel like an inflatable balloon in the wind being tossed to and fro like my sin. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave the prophet Isaiah right now? Does Isaiah, as he's standing in the middle of Jerusalem, does he wallow in his despair? Does he kind of give up on everything? Or does he join in the lunacy of a parade of de- through the desolation? No, like a pillar of light breaking through the clouds, the hope of the Holy Spirit interrupts that despair and speaks. There in verse eight, he shouts out. He says, but now, but now. You see, friends, for the believer, there's always a but now moment, something that jostles us awake, something that that roots us into the identity of God and who he is, even in the midst of desolation. There in verse eight, but now, O Yahweh, You are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. You see, true lament doesn't distract. True lament doesn't succumb or deny the darkness. No, true lament looks through the darkness and it stays awake. Just as Jesus told us to. True lament stays awake and waits for the light to burst forth. True lament remembers the truth of who God is. 
And by grace, true lament holds on to the hope of who he is as well. I have a father, Isaiah says, who keeps his promises. And then he prays, remember not our iniquities forever, O God. Now for Isaiah, he didn't know how God would answer that prayer to deal with our iniquities. He didn't know that. He didn't know that someday God himself would, in fact, rend open the heavens and come down. But he is a faithful prophet, rooted himself in the identity of who God is as a good father, and he stayed strong, and he maintained the course. He kept his hope. So at the heart of the Advent season is the proclamation that God did not leave us alone. He is that great potter who rolled up his sleeves and plunged his hands into the mire and the muck of humanity. Through Jesus of Nazareth, he walked among us. He placed his hands upon the sick and healed them. He broke bread and handed it out to thousands of people. He pointed and cast out demons and told them to flee. He put his arm over the waters and stilled the storms. And then, as an ultimate act of love, he hung upon the cross And God took upon himself all of the desolation of this world, all of the ruin of this world, all of our own um, just addictive, destructive habits and whatnot, all of that was placed upon Christ upon the cross, and he defeated it. Because our God is that father who sees us tangled up in a cord, and he's willing to just kick open the door and just slice it off with a knife and throw it away and cut us loose and free us. You see, friends, the Christian hope is not vain, empty. We do not engage in wishful thinking. No, our hope is based in the proven love of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the blessed inheritance of the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, um, Lord, we uh, find ourselves standing in a world of desolation. And it's easy to be overcome by this. It's easy, Lord, for us to feel like a leaf just blown in the wind of it all. Jesus, we thank you that you are not afraid of that. That you came down to earth and you took all of that upon yourself. So I pray, Lord, as we go about this Advent season, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we might be able to stay awake and keep our focus on you. And Lord, when our memories get foggy, may you remind us of the mighty and good things that you have done for us. May you prepare us, Lord, for that day in which you shall come again and redeem this broken and lost world. And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray all these things. Amen.